Just Our Real Estate, episode number 294. I don't have to answer the phone anymore. So what did I think the next step was? I don't care how often it rings, right? Like ring as <laughs> long and hard as it can. So then stepped up and said, let's pour on the marketing. All right, guys, welcome to Just Our Real Estate. My name is Mike Simmons. I am your host, and I am really happy that you're joining me today. I have a great show lined up for you and just a phenomenal investor that I'm interviewing, and I just I can't wait to share it with you. I'm so excited about it. I was stoked to get this guy on the show, and I'm fired up to present it to you. So I can't wait to dive into that. Real quick, as you know, the launch for the house flipping formula is underway. It is off and running, guys. Go and check it out. You can click on the banner on the right-hand side of my website, juststartrealestate.com. Click on that. It'll take you to the house flipping formula page and you can read all about it. The doors are opening. You can sign up now. I am fired up about this. I, I'm so excited. I'm shaking. So go check it out, guys. Uh, it's, it's just a must if you are a new real estate investor and you want to kick it off this year and really, really take it to the next level. And hey, maybe even quit that full-time job that you hate. Go to my website, juststartrealestate.com. On the right-hand side, click on the house flipping formula banner. Go there, check it out. I'll see you on the inside. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out and some love to our new sponsor, LandlordStation.com. LandlordStation.com is a one-stop shop for small landlords. They offer tenant screening, and you know if you listen to the show for any length of time, I have screwed up royally when it comes to screening tenants. You must screen your tenants. You must do a good job of that, or you're going to be really sorry. It's going to cost you thousands of dollars, and LandlordStation.com offers tenant screening for you guys, that alone makes it worthwhile. But when you get there, you're going to be very happy to find out that they also offer online rent payment software and services. They offer e-signatures, document storage, and rental applications. They literally have everything you need. Go check them out. I highly suggest that you go there and sign up and give them a shot. If you go to the website on the right-hand side, click on the Landlord Station banner and you will get 50% off of tenant screening. That's awesome. That alone is, is worth the time to go there and check it out. So go there, check it out. Go to the website, landlordstation.com. Tell them I sent you right in there. Uh, just start into the box, the promo code, just start, and you will get 50% off of tenant screening. I hope you go check them out. Thank you for joining me here on Just Start Real Estate. I am thrilled to have you here as always, and I'm really excited to have my guest on today. Uh, I'm going to be talking with someone who does just a tremendous amount of business in his uh, real estate investing business, and it's someone who I really have never met. Uh, it's a connection that was made through a mutual friend, and we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, but I think you guys are in for a real, real treat today. Uh, I have on the line with me Andy McFarlane, and Andy has been an active real estate investor since 2002 when he purchased this first property, quote, the treehouse, which we'll get into that. Uh, since then, he's gone on to purchase hundreds of properties, most of which are from private sellers. He owns a renovation company, Quality Property Renovations, that flips 10 to 12 houses a year, and also a wholesale company, Treehouse Investments, which wholesales over 100 properties per year in three different states. Andy loves to teach and inspire others. Andy, man, I am really excited to have you on, brother, and I appreciate you doing this. 
hey, Mike, I appreciate you having me on here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. I, I love talking to guys like yourself who've kind of been there and done that, and, and you've had a lot of experiences. And at the end of the day, you're putting your, you know, you're you're doing it. You're not just talking about it. You're out there making it happen and doing a hundred wholesale deals while also trying to do a, you know, a dozen flips. That's pretty impressive. So I can't wait to find out how you're doing it and get into that. But before we get too far into that, let's take a step back a little bit and talk about how you started in the business. Maybe what got you into it to begin with why didn't you do something else with your life you obviously you know you're a successful minded guy you probably would have been good at anything why did you pick real estate and how'd you get into it great questions you know i throughout high school yeah, everyone was trying to push you in a direction of what do you want to be when you grow up you know when are you going to go to college and you know when you get into college they're all pushing you saying what what's your major what are you going to you know what are you going to do with the rest of your life i <laughs> never ever had a good question that or an answer that. yeah i yeah. never knew i absolutely New. Both my parents are working professionals. My dad was in the military. He was an officer. Um, so I traveled around. I'm an army brat. I've lived all across the country. And I, but I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, and, but I've always been a reader. I was generally a, a fiction reader. I read a lot of fiction stuff. I started reading nonfiction in my early 20s. I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like a lot of people. And that's not a great real estate book, but it's a great paradigm-shifting book. And I read that book and I was just like, it was my aha. I was like, whoa, I never thought this before. I thought, I don't have to be anything when I grow up. I can just have <laughs> passive income. So for really, for me, it was just like, real estate was a way for me to never have to pick what I want to be when I grow up. I could just have enough money and do whatever it is I wanted if I followed that path. So that was the beginning for me, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Nice. That's awesome. You know, that's funny. That book has been credited. More people have credited that book with getting them sort of like started thinking along those lines. And most people will qualify it exactly like you did and said, listen, it's not a great real estate book, but it's a great mind shifting or you know, like you said, paradigm shifting kind of a, a book. And, and I, I'm kind of the same way. I read the book and it blew me away and sort of got me you know, moving in this direction. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely what it was for me. So when I read that book, um, it was my early 20s. I was 21, 22 years old. I was working on a loading dock at the time. So actually, I was delivering pizza, going to school part-time, college part-time, and I was working on a loading dock. Uh, I eventually dropped the pizza job and just did the loading dock thing. But after I read that book, I decided to, to purchase a property. So I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but this property was my treehouse. It was a bank-owned illegal, non-conforming triplex that had so many issues. It was just crazy. I didn't know anything better. I just found this was an opportunity and I was just went into a dogged determination. So I bought that property literally with no mentors. My parents thought I was nuts. I had no money. Um, it was just back in the days when anybody could, you know, could get loans. So I actually got a conventional loan on that, which is a story in and of itself. But I bought that and I dove in and I was, anytime that I wasn't at school, and I wasn't working on the loading dock part-time, I was there. Like I had to be there because I couldn't afford to hire people. So I went there and just, it was my tree house. I was like a little kid building his first house. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was just there saying, what do I got to tackle today? So from that experience though, it taught me so many things because I ended up buying it, fixing it up, dealing with all the zoning stuff, um, renting it out, selling it on owner financing. And then the guy cashed me out just over a year later. So from that one deal, I learned how to be a landlord. I learned how to be a flipper. I learned how to do seller financing. I learned a lot of things from that one deal. So that was my treehouse. That's awesome. And talk about an education. I mean, most people pay for their education. You got paid for that education. You know what I mean? Ultimately, you got paid to learn, and that's incredible. Yeah, and I went into that deal thinking, I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. 
And I really, I'd never sniffed $10,000 in my whole life. Like I, I, it was beyond me, right? I was making 12 bucks an hour on the dock. Yeah. And uh, from that deal, I mean, it took a year because the guy cashed me out a year later, but I had $40,000, $40,000 of net profit that came from that one deal besides all the education. And I would trade the money today for that education for sure. But $40,000 to a kid that was just getting started um, was amazing. I mean, oh I, that, I, I, it was crazy, like 40 grand. Yeah, that was awesome. That's insane. I mean, that, that should be a lot of money to anybody. But you, like you said, to a kid, that's insane. I mean, it's like it's like a million dollars. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of money, it's more not, than you ever see. And this might be a good little tangent to go off in there. With that $40,000, people think, what did you do with the $40,000? Let me tell you guys, my paradigm had been shifted. I got it. It clicked. I understood. So what did I do with that $40,000? I'm going to tell you. $5,000 went as a down payment on a rental property that I still own today. $35,000, I loaned it to a guy in first position to do a flip. And ever since then, I didn't consume any of that money. I've driven it forward the whole time. I was living at home with my parents. I didn't move out. I, I had a you know a junky car, my Honda Accord that was an older one, and I kept driving that same junky car. I knew that that was my seed corn. I knew that that was my, my, my investment capital to continue moving forward. So I've never consumed that money. And still to this day, um, I know I make a lot more now. I just try to live. I live on a lot less than I make, and I drive that forward. I keep planting those little bits of seed corn, driving it forward, driving it forward. And that mentality is, is I think, is the winning mentality. Yeah. I, well, I can say this. How old were you when you did that, when you made the 40000 Uh, I was 23. 23. So at 23, you were probably more disciplined and intelligent an investor than most investors that I've met over the years. I mean, that's incredible. You took 40 grand and turned it into basically two deals, right? You buy and hold, and then you were like a private lender to somebody. That's amazing. You know, most people get 40 grand. They go, oh, I can't even buy a house with that. I don't know, what am I going to do with that? I need more than that. I mean, you found a way to, to split it and use it twice, basically. The first thing they do is go upgrade their car, right? I mean, I'm yeah. a 23 year old kid. You know, oh. like, they go upgrade their car, oh. and I thought, not even close. I wasn't even close to doing that. Yeah, I'm talking about so. somebody in their 30s and 40s and 50 don't even know what to do with that money. But at 23, yeah, I would have fully expected you to party that money away, you know, like like most 23 year olds. So that's incredible. Yeah, so that's that, that's what I did with that money, and then I've just kind of gone ever ever since. And it was deal after deal after deal, and. uh so did you have a focus? I mean, did you when you first did that deal, right? You, that, so you bought a, a buy and hold property, and then you you did like a private money lending lending kind of thing. So over the next, I don't know, two three years, what was your focus? I mean, were you focused on one like one um, strategy? No, I wasn't focused on one strategy at all. I just kind of I, I flipped. that house essentially i bought a rental property i'd done an, i did another flip and i just started slowly doing um flips or buy and holds i was just looking for anything i was basically looking for any deal a loan doing a loan for somebody was a deal in my book buying a rental was a deal doing a wholesale deal was a deal i wasn't picky money was money to me and i thought hey how can i just make this thing grow yeah exactly well that, that's incredible and i think sometimes one of the things yeah, that and, uh, holds people back when they're starting out is they try to do everything and they can't they can't focus so they don't do anything very well but it sounds like you were able to sort of take what came to you and and make something out of it rather than you know trying to push everything out of your head except I'm just going to be a landlord or I'm just going to be a flipper you were able to handle that most people get that kind of you know information overload and they just do nothing 
Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, for me, I was just like anything that I could get that I could turn into a deal. I was hyper focused on that. And all the while I was doing this, Mike, I was I was working on the dock. I was working on loading dock. And on the loading dock, um, a lot of the guys there, they're older guys that've been around there for a while. And naturally, my mindset has shifted, and I was focused on real estate stuff. And I talked to my friends there on the dock about this stuff who were all older than me, and none of them got it. I mean, they, they didn't get it. I kept talking about real estate stuff, and they'd roll their eyes. I'm like, yeah, real estate. You're going to be a big real estate investor. And they weren't getting it that although I was there with them physically, mentally, I couldn't have been farther away. And uh, actually, funny story there, I bought a rental property while I was a duplex while I was working on the dock. And one of the guys I worked with was 30 years older than me. He actually applied. He wanted to be my tenant at that, at that rental property. Oh, so. Uh, so I was making it happen, and ironically, the, the, with the dock, um, I wasn't going to quit. I was making more money outside of working on the dock, obviously, in real estate than I was on the dock, but I was getting W-2 income, um, and it was it was kind of stable, and it was more money than I needed to live, and I thought, this enables me to get more houses. So um, I actually didn't, I was afraid to quit. I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to give that up, um, but I actually got fired, which was the biggest blessing of my life, getting fired from the dock, and I remember still... Um, and I got fired for skateboarding, by the way. One night, after we, cleaned everything up, we cleaned everything up and we swept off the dock. And I got my skateboard out and started skateboarding on the dock. And one of my managers saw that and just decided to, to turn me in. And they said, hey, you know, don't, don't come back, basically. Uh, and that was the biggest blessing in my life, probably, because I, I would have never quit. And I remember going home. And my dad, who's a retired Army officer, who's got his master's degree, who has you know, a great paying job and everything now, he came home. I remember distinctly sitting on the front porch with him and looking me in the eyes and saying, go and beg for your job back. Go get your job oh back. He said, he said, Andy, you do not want this on your resume. Go get your job back, please. I beg of you. And I, In hindsight now, I, I can see this. My dad loves me. It's no question, right? But I can see now, and, and everybody does this, he was speaking from his paradigm. He was speaking from what he understood and the path that he took. And in his path, that would have been extremely detrimental. Yeah. But he didn't understand my path. And I told him, I said, Dad, he knew I'd been doing real estate stuff. He knew I'd done my first deal and all these other things. I said, Dad, I'm going to do real estate. I'm going to do my own thing. And he still kind of was, I mean, he was, he was kind of a doubter. But now, years later, um, it's much different. It's much different. He, he definitely sees that my path worked for me. And he, you know, I do give him a little advice here and there on some of the, some of the real estate stuff that, that he's, I've had him do. So That's very cool, man. And I, you know what? I think a lot of people can relate to that because most parents really, you know, this whole, you know, my my father was in the military as well, and he came out of the military. I'm in Michigan, so he got a job at the automotive factory at Ford, and he worked there as a die maker for, you know, 35 years. So for him, you know, he thought if I got into a factory, that's like the lottery, right? That's the greatest thing. That's that's what you aspire to. And, and it you know, it was tough for him to understand that that's not what I wanted to do because for him, it was all about steady pay, you know, getting as much overtime as you can, being in a union, like that was his big thing. And it just, you know, that's just not, that didn't work for me. So I totally get that, man. I'm right there with you. I had the same experience. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's hard to do that when your, your mentors, your parents are the ones telling you, you know, they're telling you from their point of view, and they're very emphatic with that because they believe that because that's what they've lived. It's hard to break off and go a different direction, but I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Really yeah. glad I did. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So you did that. Let's fast forward a little bit. Now, you were doing a lot of stuff, landlord flipping and all this. Now, you know, we talked a little bit before we got on the air here. Your main focus, your number first of all, first and foremost, you're a wholesaler. Why and how did you settle into that being your primary goal? 
Good question. I've always been a fast nickel guy versus a slow dime. I've always been the guy just like, hey, if I can just you know, get the money quickly, then that's the direction I wanted to go uh, with, you know, the less hassles, the better. So that always resonated with me. So, and I also like people. I like um, connecting with people, interacting with them. So working with private sellers to go negotiate deals always resonated with me as well. I really like to listen more than I talk, contrary to, uh, you know, we're on the, the podcast now, so I have to talk. <laughs> but, I, but I really like to listen to people, understand them. And I'm, I'm basically a real estate social worker. <laughs> so, um, I, I always resonated with that wholesale side. So, so right now my primary business in again is wholesaling, and I've I've scaled it up quite a bit. So I can't do all the individual pieces, but I grew my business organically. I've worn every hat along the way, so I've done everything everything along the way. But right now, what it looks like is um, I've got a company and a guy, a chief operating officer that runs the company and runs everybody underneath me in the company um, that does everything in three different states. We we market, we take the phone calls from the sellers. Um, we we negotiate the contracts. We we get them under contract. We sell them the transaction coordination. That whole thing. Uh, I don't really touch that process. I'm really kind of above it. I manage the managers, and uh, so although I've come up through doing everything in there and working with private sellers and all that stuff, I actually don't do that anymore. Um, I just run the company that does that. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're you're running a business, not you don't have a job, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's what it means to run a business. So, yeah, no, absolutely. that's that's awesome. So, how long just generally speaking, what was the th- what was the progression of okay, I'm going to ramp up my business. I'm doing it all myself. Now I need to hire somebody. What's the process? Who do you hire first and why do you hire that person first? What do they do? And then how does that springboard into the other people that you hired? I'm just trying to give the listeners an idea. I mean, they may not be to this point yet, but at some point, uh, in order to scale a business and to, and to make it a, a business and not just a job, another job, you sort of have to bring people on to do things so that you can scale it up. So maybe just like from a 10,000 foot view, how does that process look and how do you decide who and when to bring on? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the first thing I did, because think of it, all you guys that are listening right now that are doing everything in your business, right? You're doing everything in it. That was me. I get it. The first person I brought on was to handle a thing that I liked the least. So when you're doing marketing, which wholesalers, you're a marketer, I didn't like answering the phone all the time, nights, weekends, talking to people that are kicking tires because you're going to talk to you know, 15, 20, 25 people to one person that's actually going to be your customer that you can then start building rapport and doing business with. Yeah. So I didn't like that. I just didn't like that portion of it. So my first hire was to bring somebody in that could answer the phone and screen those calls. So once I had somebody to do that, then he was screening the calls, giving me the only good stuff, and also running the comps behind the scenes so I didn't have to do all that mundane work anymore either. I got to do what I loved, go close more sellers, which was phenomenal for me. I was running around doing that. And then I recognized, you know what? I don't have to answer the phone anymore. So what did I think the next step was? I don't care how often it rings, right? Like ring as <laughs> long and hard as it can. So then I stepped up and said, let's pour on the marketing. So I went from mailing like 5,000 pieces a month to like 20,000 pieces a month. I didn't care. Like put up all the marketing you possibly can. Just get the phone to ring because I'm not answering that phone exactly. call. Exactly. More leads started coming in. My guy that was answering the phone started getting swamped, and I was getting swamped with like keeping all that marketing out. So I, the next guy I brought in was said, you know, you keep the phone ringing. So I had the one guy answering the phone. The next guy I brought in was the guy whose job description was to keep the phone ringing, which is basically a marketing manager, right? Put out the mailing piece, scrub the lists, um, determine what our you know our cost per deal is, all that stuff, cost per lead is. So the next guy's he's just putting out all the stuff, making sure the phone doesn't stop ringing. So that works like like hotcakes, right? Everything keeps going through. But now the guy that's answering the phone, he's just swamped. 
So I had to bring in an assistant for him, somebody to kind of help run the comps and, and do all that stuff, right? right? So now that's happening, and I'm still running around like crazy, closing these private sellers and dealing with some transaction coordination. So I bring in a transaction coordinator. This is somebody that's basically going to say, um, line up the, the buyers, uh, do the title work, um, or not do the title, but coordinate with title and, and all of that. So now I'm still in this seat, running around, just building rapport with all these sellers and making up you know, going to see everybody, which I'm really good at. I was really good at closing sellers because I'm creative. I've got a lot of experience in real estate, so I can take it a lot of different ways. But the last thing I cut for myself was that. Um, about a year and a half ago, I stopped seeing private sellers. I hired a replacement, which I didn't think was possible, but I hired a replacement, which is basically an outside sales rep to do exactly what I was doing with the private sellers. And it's been liberating ever since because she, it's actually a girl, goes out there and closes these sellers and enables me to, um, two weeks ago, we got, six contracts in a week, which was a record for us. Wow. But I haven't talked to any of those sellers. I don't know where those houses are. I don't, I'm not trying to find the buyers. Like I, My whole team does all of that stuff. So I really liberated myself from that, and now I'm able to focus on other things. Um, but with all that said, Mike, I do have a tinge of missing it sometimes. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of – she's juggling probably any given time 50 people. Because anybody you guys are listening that have done this with private sellers – you recognize that there's a lot to it. Um, it doesn't happen on the first phone call. It doesn't happen on the first visit. Sometimes you follow up with them next week, next month, and all that stuff, uh, depending on who the seller is. And you've got to keep track of all. There's 10, there's 15, there's 20, there's all these people. So that becomes a full-time job. She, is, she has got a full-time job, and all she does is go close those sellers on my team. And that's full-time. Wow. Now, that was something that you enjoyed doing. So you took a lot of pride in it, obviously, and you were really good at it. How long did it take you to train her to the point that you felt like you could step away and not do it. That's very interesting. Sales people that are salespeople that are good listeners that are know how to uh, know how to listen to people. They're just kind of I don't want to say it's natural, but if you find a good salesperson, which is what she was, I went on four appointments with her. Four. I went, she was sitting next to me and watched me close four sellers. And after that, she's such a natural. She said, well, I would try this and that, like her own little spin on it. I said, let's do it. Then we reversed the roles. She got the contract. And then after that, she said, I got it. And that was it. I had to teach her along the way things because she had no clue what contracts were and escrow and earnest money. She didn't know what any of that stuff was. So I taught her along the way, but she's just run with it after four appointments. That's interesting. What was her background then before she started working with you? Her background, interestingly enough, in college, I think she did some sort of marriage and family counseling. So she is, like I said, I'm a real estate social worker. She's a very good listener. She was also a coach. She was a sales coach, believe it or not. She would coach people in any industry. She would go in there and, and show them you know, what they could do better. Like She would read personalities and say, do you see you're turning this person off by doing that? You need to treat them like this. So she would train people in their specific industries. So she's a salesperson. She's just she's just a natural salesperson. Wow, that's incredible. That's really cool. So it sounds like she's right out of college. Is that right? No, she's actually not. She's uh she's in her late thirties. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. So that's how you're able to do volume. And I really appreciate showing you know, or kind of explaining to us the thought process of you know, you don't love answering tons of calls all the time. So that's your first person. The second person is is job is essentially to keep the first person busy, right? So they're right. they're feeding that person because I just had a conversation uh, a couple of days ago with an investor, and we were talking about hiring people, and they were saying that the, one of the hard things about hiring people is 
you have to give them things to do when you have nothing for them to do. You know what I mean? Like you have to keep them busy if you're paying them. And sometimes that's where people struggle. They give them a couple tasks, they're done with it. And then the, you know, the owner of the company is off busy working and, and they can't keep them busy. So that was actually brilliant in my opinion that you, your first person was being kept busy by your second person. So, and the second person was always going to be busy because their job was to continuously, you know, get, get leads coming in, get the phone ringing, like you said. So, that's yeah. cool. That's a that's an interesting uh, insight into how someone like yourself, who's doing just a just an obscene amount of of business each year, how you got to that point. So that's that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So okay. all right, let me ask you this: You're ultra successful. And by the way, which states are you are you working in? Do you mind saying? Yeah, I live in Utah, so okay. we do all northern Utah, uh, New Mexico. We're working in there, and Southern California. I do a little bit of Southern California. Uh, a guy by the name of Justin Williams. We do some things together, which we can talk about later, but we actually do some business together. So Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. So let me ask you this then. If we took you out of Utah and let's just say we took away your contacts, right? The Justin Williams of the world and people you're working with in, in, uh, in, in all the other areas and we plopped you somewhere else in the Midwest, let's say Michigan, Ohio, whatever. How would you go about, what would be the starting points of you going about rebuilding your business? I love this question. So everything is stripped for me. What's stripped for me? Do I have my knowledge, but now I don't have anything else? You have all of your knowledge, but you don't have any contacts or any money, and you don't know the area you live in. You're not familiar with the surroundings. Oh, my gosh. This is a, this is a pretty easy question, actually. So if you drop me on the ground, let's just say you drop me on the ground in Michigan because that's where you're from, and I know nothing about Michigan. The first thing I would do is I would get access to the MLS or whatever listing service you have there. So I would start to educate myself about stuff. I would start driving around neighborhoods. I would start getting to know values and houses in the area. I would get access to county records if that's not on the MLS. So I get to access to square footage, what people owe on their properties, who owns what property and what their address is. Then I would start networking like crazy. I would find who the players were in that market. I would go to real estate investor associations. I would talk to real estate agents, whoever I could to get networked into that. If I don't have any money, I'm also going to be networking for people with money. I'm going to find those successful people in that market. And then I'm going to start finding sellers. So I'm going to start calling. If it's Craigslist you've got there, if you've got um, you know, for sale by owners, whatever, I'm going to start calling like crazy. And I'm also going to get my own marketing out there. So from those, I'm going to start building lists of people who I know where to go. I'm going to start building absentee owners, um, tax delinquent lists, probates, inheritance. I'm going to start hitting those people with direct mail. And I'm going to you know, get my name out there and look for anybody that's got you know, any bird dogs that are out there, I'm going to find people looking for me. I'm going to start negotiating with private sellers. And I'm going to be finding deals. Awesome. Awesome. And I, you know what? I love that because really the, the name of the game is, is finding a good deal. If you find a, a deal that is actually a good deal, a lot of other things fall into place, right? I mean, it's really, who, who do you know who's ever found a smoking hot deal and couldn't get, you know, couldn't wholesale it? It just, I, yeah. I don't need money. Yeah. Money. I, I know all the stuff, you take it all away from me. I know how to go negotiate with the sellers. I know how, what a deal is. I know how to put a deal together. I will find the money. People don't believe this, but money finds the deal. If I get a deal, the money will follow every time. Yep, I, I 100% agree with that. Now, let me ask you this. When it comes to negotiating with sellers, and you've, you've talked about this, that it's something you're good at, it's something you enjoy doing, and for people out there who maybe are interested in being a wholesaler or even flipping houses but doing their own marketing and, and talking to sellers, 
what can you give us some advice or some some tips on when you're dealing with sellers what are some things that you really want to make sure people are aware of and maybe some things that they shouldn't do you know maybe common mistakes that people make because that's intimidating for a lot of people getting started is going and talking to sellers because they feel like they don't know anything and I'm sure they're making a lot of mistakes so what do you what would you tell a new investor maybe a new wholesaler about the the, the art of going and, and getting that contract absolutely this is not just in real estate. This is in life in general. Okay, The key to sales and the key to all of that stuff is truly caring. Number one is you have to truly care. If you'll do that, Mike, and if your listeners will do that, everything else falls into place. I can give you all the little tips and tricks and negotiations and how to make people like you. I can tell you that stuff. But it all falls away if you just go into it truly caring. Don't look at it as a real estate negotiation because if you do that, you're going to get all uptight. You're going to start treating it, you know, acting different. Don't do that. They are a person and you are a person. We deal in property, but it's a people business. It's not a property business. It's the people behind the properties. So here's the best advice for besides caring. Two ears, one mouth. Listen more than you talk. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And you show that by listening to them. And when you listen to somebody, you're going to understand them. You're going to be able to ask the questions to understand what they're trying to do so that you can serve them better. And they probably won't ask you anything about you, which that is fine because as you listen to somebody, they're going to be in rapport with you because they say, this guy really cares about me. And they can feel that. You never felt that with somebody when they're actually, they actually care about you. You can feel that when you get that with them, you'll, they'll know you care. They, you know, you care about them. They'll tell you what their true needs are. They'll break down and say, look, Mike, here's exactly what it is I need. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And if you have the ability to help them accomplish that or get them what they want, they'll get you what you want. So think first about them and care about them. And then you can honestly tell them, hey, look, Mike, if I were you, here's what I would do. Now, will you trust me with that, Mike? You know, If I can get you those things you said you need, will you trust me with that? Nice. I like that. And I, I'd like to add to that too. When you say truly care, that the truly part is important because, you know, people can smell, you know, BS caring. You know, you have to really, really try to, to get into their problem a little bit and care about what they're saying. Because if you say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend I care so I can kind of, I can get the deal so I can get the money. It, people, yeah. people can feel that. So, you know, I, you have to be honest. I will walk away from deals. I literally, one of my classic lines, if you talk to all the others I talk to, is I just say, if you were my brother or you were my sister or my mom or dad, here's what I would do. I mean, and I'm coming from the heart. I'm truly being honest with them of here's what you should do. And if that means that they don't do business with me, so be it. I've never bought a house from somebody who didn't want to sell it to me. And if I can't solve the problem, if I can't add value to them, I'm not going to try to talk them into something that's not good for them. But they feel that sincerity and they say, well, they trust me with that. And if they do, then I can say, here's what I would do and here's how I can best help you. Don't think when you're talking to these sellers, you're going to give them something they've never heard before. Like one of the classic things is when like, people call you from their marketing, people think, well, I don't want to talk to them on a real estate agent. Why not? Don't think they haven't thought about it before. I'll ask them straight up. Well, why don't you just list it with an agent? And when they, the answer to that is very interesting, right? Then they're going to tell you how to sell them because they're going to say, well, I don't want to pay commissions. I don't want to fix up the property. I don't want to wait this long or whatever it is they say, listen to that because they're telling you how to sell them. Good salespeople listen first and then listen again and keep listening and then serve them. Say, if I can give you what you want because you just told me what you wanted, will you do business with me? And they will. Nice. I like that. Now, I've got a question because a lot of times I, when I conduct these interviews with uh, people such as yourself, I, I start asking questions that I really want to know. Not, I mean, you know, I have an avatar, right? It's a new investor, but 
I really sometimes I want to know things. So I'm I'm going to ask you something that I I don't I won't say I struggle with it, but it's it's one of the things that I have to do when I put on that wholesaling hat and I go out and talk to sellers that I always find a little bit uncomfortable. And that is when you ask them on the phone before you go out there. Once you decide it's it's something you should be going out and talking to them directly. When you say, what is the condition of your home? Does it need repairs? You know, how does, what would you say is a condition? And almost all of them say, oh, my house is in great shape. It doesn't need any repairs. And then you go there and what do you find? Inevitably, right? <laughs> it needs repairs. It's not in great shape or it's in great shape, you know, from the 80s, basically. You know, that's where everything's from. So how do you do that? How do you tell a, a seller tactfully that their house would need to be almost renovated from top to bottom? It's not, you can't sell the house. An investor couldn't sell the house in the current condition when they feel like it's in great condition. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you're saying, because you want to be very careful. You want to tiptoe around that a little bit, right? Um, you know, good questions you can ask. You can say something like to the effect of, uh, you know, hey, Mike, if money weren't an issue, you know, I mean, you, I know you've had this house for a few years. If money weren't an issue, what would you do? I mean, if you're living there, what would you do to it? Yeah. I mean, would you, would you do something in the kitchen? Would you do something in the bathroom? And, or the carpet? I know it's fine. It's good. But, you know, what would you do? Or the paint? Or if they kind of aren't biting on that thing, you could say, God, have you ever seen the new houses they do nowadays? You ever watch the TV shows? You ever see the, the brand new homes they're doing? Yeah, well, I've seen that. Okay. Well, you know how those look like? I mean, to bring your house up to that level, you know, the carpet and the paint, and the people like the new granite countertop kitchens, you know, they like that kind of stuff. You know, that's what the new buyers want, that new husband and wife want. So to bring your house up to that, do you think you'd have to do anything to your house? And I mean, I'd ask them questions that way. I'd lead them. And, and you know their house always needs repairs. So yeah. if you're asking them out the kitchen, lead them that way. If they're not giving it to you, um, you're going to find out when you get there. But you know, sometimes they are delusional. Sometimes they really think that their green shag carpet from the 70s that they've, you know, <laughs> is great. Um, but I, you know, it's not me that I like the stuff, Mike. I truly do. But it's just the buyers in the market. You know the new couples. They want this and that. They want the two-tone and the granite and all that. So... So I'll bring it that way. That's kind of how I bring it yeah. up. No, that's perfect. That's that's really good advice that I will use this week, actually, because I get that all the time. And and I and I kind of do a similar thing, but you just articulated it much better than what I do. So, but it is one of those tricky things when you're talking to sellers. They usually think that they're because they either they either have lived in the house, you know, for a number of years, or it's where they grew up, or whatever. And there's a lot of emotional attachment to it. And when they bought the cabinets in 1995, they were great. And they don't see a problem with it. So I always find that to be an uncomfortable, a little bit awkward, like you said, tiptoe around the situation when you have to explain to them that, yes, this house is in good shape and it's great. But for me to be able to sell it at the end of the day for top dollar, there's a lot of things that would need to be done. And that sometimes that's uncomfortable because they really don't understand what you think is wrong. And one of the things then, too, is it might not be that they don't understand necessarily. They've got their guard up. Yeah. They've got their negotiation face on. The reason they're saying that is they're like, I'm not going to blemish my house at all. I'm not going to say anything's bad about my house. So if you can get in rapport with them, which is extremely important, it's hard on the initial phone call because you're, not, you know, it's a phone call. You're not in person stuff. But when I get in the house with people, when you get in that rapport with people, there's a lot of things you can do, and they'll really drop their guard because they know the house needs repairs. But they're thinking, I can't say that because if I say that, I'm losing my hand in negotiation. Yeah. So rapport is so important. Yeah. So important. That, that's that's an hour long phone call or more. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Well, listen, 
I want to get into a little bit, and this is sort of how we connected. I said we met through a mutual, you know, friend, and that is Justin Williams. And Justin Williams and, and you are are working on a program, and, and it's a program that was in existence, sort of in in a, in a certain way last year. It was a fail fast flipping. I've talked about it on this on this show a lot. Uh, I'm involved in it as a coach. I know that you and Justin have have really revamped this thing and and rebranded it into uh, the house flipping formula, which we. Talk, I, he was actually on the show last week, and we talked about this in pretty good depth. How did you get involved with that, and and, and what do you think is is the is the benefit of people even checking out the program? Why why should they do that? If people knew what this program was, they'd be lining up to do it. Let me tell you why. Okay, um, how do I get involved first? I'll answer that. Justin Williams is a friend of mine. I taught a seminar over a year ago. His brother was in the seminar and his brother said, you've got to meet Justin. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. He said, no, you've got to meet Justin. He's just like you. And we're similar ages, similar family situation. So I said, okay, I gave him a call reluctantly, right? Because I'm busy, he's busy. But we connected on the phone and we were very, very similar. He owned, he has a large retail flipping company. And I have a large wholesale company. So we are in very similar stages of life. We live in different states and things. But we connected and we recognized that. So over the last year or so, we built this friendship. I had trips planned to California with my family. We stayed in a beach house. I went down and visited him and his family. And, and he came up to Utah and visited me. We just built this friendship. You know, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't business. It was just a friendship, mutual respect, peer to peer. And uh, he recognized that that I was a really good wholesaler and I was doing that stuff. When he came to Utah, I showed him my office. And he came to me a few months ago. Well, I, I taught with him in California. He said, come out and teach. He said, I've got a seminar. I want you to come teach. And I love it. I love teaching. So I went out there and, and hung out and taught and we got great feedback. And he said to me, he said, look, he said, I want you to, he says, I want you to tie in with me here. He's like, I'm a retail flipper and I got a system for that. He's like, but you've got a wholesale flipping system. And he's like, you've got, you've built all that stuff up. He's like, you're, he's like, you're the, you're the best wholesaler I know. He says, I'm the, I'm the best house flipper because he's a volume house flipper. And he said, this is amazing. So his form, his uh, fail fast flipping he had before was him as a retail flipper. House flipping formula is not only him as a retail flipper, but me as a wholesaler. Um, so that's what we've got. So the content is that it's both of our takes, right? But besides the content, because content, let's be honest, guys, you're listening to this. You can get this content. I mean, I can't say you get the same content everywhere, but it's all over the place. The information is the same, right? But getting it in a condensed form is where you need it from people who know who are actually doing the business. But the the big thing you need is the action-taking element. Because if you don't take action with the content you have, then you're nothing. You're going to learn everything by taking action. Boots on the ground action, right? So what I love about Justin, the only reason I agreed to do this was because he makes people successful because he makes them take action. I can honestly say Justin and I's friendship, I am a better person today from knowing him because he pushes me to another level in my life and in my business because he is an action-oriented guy. So that just, his whole Housekeeping formula just drips with that of take action, take action. That is the huge difference. I don't care if you pay $100,000 for a coaching package. That coach is not going to hold your hand and make you take action any more than we are. And then the last element in there is the community. You get peer-to-peer community, which Mike, like you said, you're in there and adding tons of good stuff. Um, peer-to-peer people that are on the starting level are on there helping each other out. And once a week, we do a coaching call. So any questions they get from take an action on the homework from that week, we're right there to tell them, right? And that's when the real learning begins. You don't know what you don't know until you go out there and take action. And then once you do, you need somebody that's been there that knows exactly what's going on in the market to cut your learning curve down. So those are all the things that are in the program. And like I said, I don't teach anywhere else. I used to do private coaching. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. 
I only do it here because of the one-to-many model. It's the only thing that makes sense for me and my time. And I believe in Justin so much with that. Like, I'm happy to have my name associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I could not say that any better. Um, it's a phenomenal program that I think you would agree. And I have said I wish it, something like that was available when I got started because there was nothing like that available. And I, I can't even describe to people, and I have tried a couple times, the, the amount of great information. And like you said, the action-taking element, the, the, the holding accountable in the community, that's huge. Like you said, the content, if you want to spend the time and the effort, you can find the, all the pieces out there you know, that you could assemble yourself over time and it would take a long time but the action taking and the community there's just no price you can put on that and it's it's awesome and it makes a difference i've seen people in the program go from haven't done anything to you know started flipping their first house or or you know doing their first deal and it's amazing watching that growth can i make one more comment about that please one of the last people that i actually did coaching with because again i don't do one-on-one coaching anymore i just took too much of my time um I don't do that anymore. One of the last people I did, he actually makes his living right now selling coaching for one of the big people, one of the big gurus, okay? I'm not going to mention names on here. And I asked him, I said, hey, I mean, he knows that kind of the stuff I provide. I said, what the coaching package they provide, the low end was 3000 you know, three to $10,000 plus. And the people that are fulfilling that coaching, I mean, he was one of those guys and he's going to me, right? So the- Wow. The, they just don't get the quality. I mean, they're pushing all the herds through there, but those guys are not the ones in the trenches doing the deals, and they don't have your best interest in mind. Like, truly, the price that we ch- the price that we charge there is like nothing. It's like nothing because and it's not because I mean, Justin and I we have to do something to make it worth our time. But we've got businesses that like thrive. We've got thriving real estate businesses. We do this because we love it because we're passionate about it, right? Um, but we don't charge anywhere near what these big people charge, and they're not they're not doing the business. I mean, they're strictly just, you know, running people through there. So we actually care. So that that's was nice. awesome. No, I totally agree. Can't say enough about it. If you go to my website at juststartrealestate.com on the right hand side, you can click on the house flipping formula banner. It'll take you over there. You can check it out. There's a money back guarantee. So, I mean, the price is ridiculously low, but honestly, there's really no risk because if you don't like it within the 30 days, you get your money back. No hard feelings, no questions asked. You walk away. But I can guarantee you, if you get into the program and see what is available to you, you will never let it go. Trust me, guys. You just won't. So definitely go over there and check it out. Is there How, how can people get a hold of you uh, if they would like to or where can you be found? Uh, tell people the best way to get a hold of you. Yeah, I'm absolutely inside the house flipping formula in that community there. I'm definitely in there. Um, I Love Real Estate Stories is a video blog that I do. If you guys want to check out some stuff from me, it's all free. I show you real deals that I'm doing. My brother is a documentary filmmaker. He works for me full-time documenting real wholesale deals I do, real flips, real rentals. Um, so then I also do a, a weekly show called From the Trenches. But I Love Real Estate Stories.com or I Love Real Estate Stories on YouTube. Or if you YouTube Andy McFarland Real Estate, you'll find that stuff. Um, but that's where you can find me. Or Andy at I Love Real Estate Stories.com. You can email me there. And uh, I'm like Mike, I, uh, I answer my emails. I'm probably not as frequently answered as him, but I get to him every day. So um, yeah, you can hit me there and I'll, I'll definitely get you back. 
Awesome, guys. I definitely uh, recommend that you go check it out. The I love real estate stories.com and I love real estate stories on YouTube. It's great stuff. Again, I mean, he's just giving it to you guys. I mean, he's giving this stuff away. So go there and check it out. It, it is well worth your time. I've been there. It's it's incredible. So, hey, Andy, I really appreciate you being on the show. It has been a lot of fun talking to you and a lot of fun getting to know you better. And uh, hopefully down the road, we'll come back and revisit and see how things are going and, and talk a little bit more if, if that's okay. We absolutely will. And I appreciate your time too, Mike. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. We will talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Until next time, if investing in real estate is your dream, there's only one way you can make it a reality. Just start. 